Please remain standing and turn your Bibles to John 6. John 6, and we'll be reading verses 60 through 71. Although we will be speaking about the context as well in the sermon. Please turn to John 6. We'll be reading only verses 60 to 71. This is God's word. Please give it your full attention. John 6, starting in verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Is it the Spirit who gives life? The flesh is no help at all. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who, were, who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Some Zen Buddhists teach important lessons by way of what they called koans, which are questions that turn the mind of the person upon some object they need to solve, or at least ostensibly. The question sounds similar to one famous koan that you may have heard already. Two hands clap, and there is a sound, but what is the sound of one hand clapping? This is most definitely a nonsense saying. But that is unfortunately the point of Buddhist koans. They are meant to be nonsense sayings. They lead listeners to some type of higher learning or through thinking upon hard things, these hard sayings, so to speak. Koans, however, are hard not because they lead anywhere. Koans are hard sayings because they lead nowhere and turn and twist the mind in strange and irrational directions. These Eastern hard sayings can't be reasoned through because they are irrational and unreasonable. And that is just the point of Buddhist koans, to bring the thinker into a kind of despair at his limitations and go beyond rationality, whatever that means. Koans attempt to bring human reason to a halt through frustratingly absurd problems. There is no answer to what the sound of a single hand is because there isn't a sound to a single hand. Before us in our passage today, some take the word hard, that Jesus said, as his own version of a koan, a hard saying which makes us despair. To give some context, the Jews may have even considered this the, the case. Our passage is at the end of John 6. John 6 begins with Jesus feeding the 5,000. 
And with the people saying in verse 14, this is indeed the prophet who was to come into the world. It would seem that the Jews are finally convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. But after hearing this praise, Jesus does some surprising things, as he often does. He almost immediately goes on the run from his new multitudes of supporters. He puts a lake in between him and them. In fact, when they finally realize this and catch up to him, Jesus utters some of the most beautiful and incredibly revealing teachings of his earthly humiliation in verses 35 through 40, saying, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. When Christians read these verses, knowing Jesus was soon to be raised up upon the cross, we marvel at how beautiful, prophetic, and appropriate these words are. Christians indeed rely upon Christ for salvation as our provision, our daily bread, and our eternal life. And through belief in him, we shall never thirst any longer, because there is no greater reward than eternal life with Christ. But now put yourselves in the shoes of the Jews of John 6. Some of them don't even believe that the resurrection is real, let alone understand the mission of the Messiah on earth, is it any wonder that the Jews grumbled at these teachings, as we learn the Jews did in verses 41 and 42, when Jesus reveals even harder words to them than these? In fact, they grumbled so much that five of the seven uses of the Greek word that is used here for grumbled are in our text or in the surrounding context. Uh, this John 6 passage is the preeminent grumbling passage in the Bible. And in a little window into our Savior's personality, Jesus' teachings become more and more stark in their language as the Jews grumble more and more. He first speaks quite plainly, at least it seems to us, and inoffensively in verse 35. I am the bread of life, he says. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Then he says more starkly and less metaphorically in verse 41, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And just to hammer down the point of the true difficulty of the sayings, he says what would seem offensive to most ears in verse 51, and the bread of life that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. If the Jews didn't like what Jesus was saying before, they're certainly not going to like this. But Jesus does not stop there. As the Jews were fighting tooth and nail around him about what this even meant, Jesus puts more fuel on the fire and makes the, the offense explicit to them. Jesus adds in verses 53 and 54, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. It sounds like Jesus is advocating for some form of cannibalism here. And the drinking of blood, when even the drinking, when drinking the blood of unreasoning animals is forbidden in Moses, let alone drinking human blood. Just to show how offensive this was, John adds the context in verse 59. Jesus said these things in the synagogue. Can you imagine 
Imagine that I came up here today and said to you that you would not be saved unless you drank my blood and ate my flesh. Not even unbelievers do this kind of thing if we are speaking literally. Blood was never to be consumed because blood, at least in the Old Testament, was a symbol of life. And God alone gave life. And that God alone has control over life, as Leviticus 17.11 says. So when the Jews heard this, these sayings tasted bad to them. Like Jesus was disrespecting God and God's right over human life and the gift of human life, in fact. This is why the Jews say in verse 60, in the beginning of our passage, this is a hard word. The word here used for hard does not mean difficult to understand. In Greek, rather, this word means harsh or grating, as if these words of Jesus scraped the Jews' ears as they heard them. This word hard decidedly does not mean unreasonable, as some people take it to mean. This word that Jesus spoke is not a Buddhist koan. It's simply so offensive to the ears that the Jews can barely even listen to it at this time. They ask in verse 60, in fact, who can listen to it? Saying, in effect, who will listen to this man speak if this is what he's going to say? The Jews took offense to Jesus' words and therefore called them hard. Let us remember, Jesus, after gaining thousands of new followers by feeding the 5,000, even as much as perhaps 10,000 new followers because they only They only counted men in those numbers, intentionally runs from them, and then makes them listen to hard sayings, offensive sayings. We should learn something from all of this. The Jews misunderstood Jesus by understanding him merely in bodily ways, of course, as if he meant cannibalism, as the Roman Catholics do. And that type of interpretation brings us to nonsense. We must be certain when we read scripture, that Jesus never speaks nonsense. He never brings us to a Buddhist koan. This is a rational God. Jesus is always reasonable, and his words always bring life. Whatever Jesus means by his words is always reasonable, although it may be hard and offensive to us. It is hard simply because what he calls us to believe brings us to humility. The truth humbles us. And if you do not wish to be humbled, then every saying at its very core of Jesus Christ is a hard one. Getting back to our passage, Jesus, as the God-man, knows the thoughts of these grumbling Jews. And he says in verse 61, Is this offensive to you all? Meaning that to follow Jesus, one must eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood. Is this offensive We also see that what Jesus said in verse 41 offended the Jews as as he asked and said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They say, we know that this too caused the Jews to grumble because Jesus answered this directly in verse 62. Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before in heaven? They were speaking about him coming down from heaven. This was offensive to them. So we find that these two things offend the Jews, and these two things are hard and offensive to the ears, that Jesus is from God the Father above, and second, that Jesus' flesh and blood is the way of salvation. Why did God do this? 
10,000 new followers, and he pushes them away. Jesus is forcing these followers to answer the question, are they following Jesus because they are filled with bread for the day? Or are they following Jesus because they want to be filled with Christ Jesus and the bread of life? Isn't that interesting? Jesus is not interested in halfway Christians. His compassion does not extend to toleration of those who ostensibly follow him. There is only one way to follow Christ from the heart or not at all. Jesus said something that was too humbling and offensive for these followers of Jesus who followed him merely to satisfy their earthly hunger. Notice he never said anything to hurt them even or anything contradicting the truth. But when someone was offended by the truth, he simply said the truth in a more stark manner. He is sifting his followers like wheat and finding out their motives for following him. Why? Ultimately, first, one, to show that true disciples follow Christ because Christ's words are always true and lead us to eternal life. And second, the way of the Christian life is the way of humility. He sifts them like wheat to show that true disciples follow Christ because Christ's words are always true and lead us to eternal life. Many of you know what a church split feels like. I can only imagine that to the apostles, this felt like a church implosion. And what's worse, these people are leaving their own salvation because he just told them he was their only salvation. This was backsliding from hopeful converts, so to speak. Although it is always a painful event, we should never be surprised that people leave Christ and his church over the truth. Nor should we be ashamed at such an event, for Christ does it here. Christ's truth humiliates us and takes away our imagined power and teaches us the cost of discipleship. If it happened in Christ's day because of Christ's direct teaching, do you think that it will be any different today for those who represent him? The truth is offensive, and Christians are called to continue giving offense in every age and give the hard sayings of Christ, just like our Savior, Jesus Christ, continued giving offense so although I would urge wisdom in applying this truth, sometimes you simply must say the truth to someone who will be offended by it. Waiting for the right situation, although sometimes wise, very often becomes a pretext for avoiding speaking the truth because we dare not offend. This is sin. After such a mass exodus, Jesus asked his apostles, testing them once again, do you want to go away as well? In verse 67, Peter's answer is extraordinary. There are a few confessions in the Christian faith that compare with it. In verses 68 through 69, he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Before I continue, I would ask you, can you confess like this with Peter? The words of Christ are more and more being looked upon as dangerous words, and the world tries to sit in judgment over them. Some who claim the name of Christ even attempt to apologize for the words of Christ and his offensiveness. Will you? Will you sit in judgment over God's words? Or will you not be ashamed and instead say with Peter, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We do not own Christ's words. 
Peter says, these are your words. We take him at his word, in fact. However it may offend us, however it may challenge us, these sayings are only hard because they humble us and not because they are untrue or unreasonable. Are you being humbled by God's word? Or are you making it say whatever makes you comfortable? Do you study God's words to change your assumptions and to be more like Christ in your assumptions? Or do you study God's word to support your assumptions? We must never forget Christ has spoken to humble us, to offend us, that we might be more like him. We must never forget, Jesus says in Matthew 18, 4, whoever humbles himself like a child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Humility is natural to the Christian, but not natural to our sinful flesh. Humble yourselves below the mighty, offensive words of Christ, that at the proper time he may exalt you. Let us say that Christ's words are in fact life. They are hard words, words which test us and break down our pride. God's words are always like this in every age. They are hard, they remain steadfast and immovable truth. The Christian life is the life of humiliation, through the fuller soap of God's offensive, cleansing, hard, and humiliating word of life. Which brings us to the second section, second truth that Jesus is trying to bring out in his followers as he sifts them like wheat. True disciples follow Christ because even when his sayings are hard, the way of eternal life is the way of humility. As compared with the Buddhist koan, Jesus actually says something in this hard saying. We really are nourished and vivified by Christ and his word. We are nourished and made alive, which is what I am the bread of life means. To be humbled in these sayings is part of life. Not merely part of life, as some people stoically say, oh, well, that's part of life. You must take the good with the bad. No, Christ and his hard sayings are life-giving. That is, humiliation is life-giving. As much as our flesh would like to say that it is life-taking from us, do we believe with Christ that it is life-giving? For we are not Christ, and we are humiliated in this way. That we trust in another who has the words of life. We do not produce them ourselves. The hard sayings of Jesus make sense. We just don't like our flesh to be humbled. We like our pretenses, but God will not do with our pretenses, only with truth. God will not give us control over his word or his work. God is in control. He's in control of his word and his work. So Jesus humbles us because he tells us that God is in control. Jesus' words are hard because they humble us and tell us that God is in control. Jesus says in verse 70, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Jesus knows who is going to be part of his church, and it's only those that he draws to himself, as he says here. He knew 10,000 people would leave in a single day. He was in control. And that humbles our pride. 
It was not because it was better, or I was better, that I came to Jesus. It was not because I was smarter that I came to Jesus. It was because Jesus was in control. Humble yourselves before the power of Christ. So humiliating are God's words that no human would actually choose them were they not first chosen by God. As we see, even in this text, 10,000 people almost did not follow him because of his words, because of how humiliating they were. The 12 apostles were chosen by Christ, and some may be chosen to continue to hear the humbling words of God like Judas. They may continue to hear the words of God like Judas, who Christ calls a devil, but these words of humility will only serve to condemn them. Christ is intolerant of any follower who will not follow Christ in humility from their heart. The true disciple of Christ will not stop at the hearing of the words of Jesus as Judas might, but will confess with Peter that they are life. And in Christ's words, we entrust our lives. That is, Jesus and his words humble us because they tell us we do not have the keys of life. The world and every person we meet would say, listen to me, I have the answers, I have the way of life. If only I were in control, then the problems we have today would go away. We would have a utopia if it were not for X, Y, or Z, or because of these people or that people. The Christian, on the contrary, has upon his lips the words that are not his own. They are the words of life, but they are the property of another. Jesus Christ, the Lord of life, or a Christian, do you trust in your own words? And do not have the words of Christ upon your lips when you speak to others. How much of God's word is your life? Trust our God who alone has the words of life and live the life of humility as even Jesus himself lived on earth. Sit at his feet because only he has the words of life and only he has life and life abundantly. Listen each day at the feet of Christ for he alone has the words of eternal life. Don't trust in men's sayings, men's esoteric riddles and mental gymnastics, but rather trust in the reasonable, if humbling, offensive to our pride and sometimes grating words of Jesus Christ without grumbling. Only God can give life and tough, though they may be, and tough, though they may be to look at these words and say, this is hard. We can confess with Peter that you, Christ, have the words of life. Where else shall we go? And be humble that we are servants and not masters, brothers and sisters in our faith. Let us have the words of our master upon our lips and feed upon Christ and his sacrifice, the bread of life that leads to eternal life. Let us repent of our pride in ourselves and our own belief in ourselves and rather know that we are not enough. And that the value of our faith comes from Christ, its owner. Let us remember that Christ's words have value because they are not ours. They are the possession of him who has the keys to life and death. Let us be humbled by Christ's words and not ashamed of them. Let us have them upon our lips and in our life until we come to see him as he is. Let us go to him in prayer. Our Lord, we thank you 
that you change us. We thank you, Lord, that although these words were merely for our flesh to hear, would be so offensive to us that we would leave you as these 10,000 left you in a single day. Lord, we, we thank you that you have changed us. We thank you that it is not because of our flesh that we have come to you, but because we have been humbled by the Holy Spirit that we come to you. We pray, Lord, that we would have faith in Christ, even if his words are hard sometimes, even if his words take away our pride. We pray, Lord, that we would rejoice in such a thing, that we would rejoice in the words that you give us, that we would submit underneath them and confess that you are God, that although these words may grate on the way down, they take away the dross. We thank you for this work, Lord. We pray that we would love your word. We pray that we would trust in Christ our life, that he is our only life. Humble us, O God of strength. Let the truth reign in our hearts and not what we desire. Let the hard words of Christ be our treasure and make us never be ashamed of your life-giving, reasonable, but humbling words. O Christ, you have every answer. You confuse the proud and reveal yourself to little babes. You shame the strong while the weak go away filled. O the depths of your wisdom and knowledge. How unsearchable is your judgment and inscrutable your ways. Who could be your counselor? What is too hard for you? Have you any need of our flesh? Such knowledge as you have is too wonderful for us. It is high and we cannot attain it. Yet the things revealed belong to us and to our children that we may love and do all your humbling words in faith in Jesus Christ and his salvation as our bread of life. We love you, Lord, and praise you. Save us, we pray, and continue to save us through our whole life through these words. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.